Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. If you're looking to freshen up your hairstyle before Valentine's Day, but don't have time to make it to the salon or wait for the next available appointment, never fear, because Madison Reed offers salon quality hair color from the convenience of your home at a fraction of the price. With premium ingredients and expert assistance, Madison Reed has everything you need to color your hair at home with confidence, just like I do. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit when you use the code writers that's madison-reed.com use the promo code writers critics are calling charles cumming the heir to john lecare uncover the truth in a divided spy from new york times best-selling author charles cumming booklist gives a divided spy a starred review calling it quote an airtight espionage plot full of unanticipated twists read a divided spy by charles cumming for more information, visit adividedspy.com. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about journalism, pop culture, true crime. And this week, a big old update on Serial, a true crime update that hits a little too close to home for us and our review of the HBO documentary about two little girls that freaked me the hell out. <laughs> we will talk about Beware the Slender Man and let you know whether we think you should watch it. So joining me right now is the host of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, my true crime I'm co-author, real-life husband, and my favorite internet boogeyman, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Rebecca, it's so great that you can go on my podcast and I can go on yours. I know. It's like reciprocal. <laughs> also joining us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed PI, certified cat lady, and newly minted pole dancer, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. Yeah, so if this podcasting doesn't work out, um, I'm training for pole some pole dancing. dancing. <laughs> Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. Jiggle what? Let me introduce Toby, All right, shall we? Yeah. Get, get to Toby fast, because we got to get to this pole Yeah, dancing. hi, let's just get back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Laura, so what is the deal with the pole dancing? I saw a little clue about it on the Facebook. A, a little clue. Well, I go to the ballerina torture class, also known as bar, and usually, you know, you go on the little ballerina bar on the edge, but today we had these, like, upright bars that we were holding and dancing around, and of course... I was a big distraction in class because all I could think of was I'm training for stripping at this point, really. <laughs> you know, like they're like, do the pelvic thrust, ladies. And oh. I'm like, 
Oh my word. So, you know, if you guys don't want to listen to us anymore, I may have a backup career. Oh, Kevin, can you do a um, your impression oh, oh, yeah. of a, a, sure. a guy at a strip club sure, announcing right, it yeah, or Bricker right. to stage? Now, coming to the stage, gentlemen, it's El Bricks. <laughs> For your eyes only, gentlemen, on main stage, Bricks. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Rebecca to Sorry, the champagne Toby. room. <laughs> So that's what that's going to sound like. Anyway, we're also talking to the very talented and very oppositional noir novelist, Toby Ball. A formal yeah, good evening to you, Toby. How are you? No, I, I don't have anything fun like pole dancing. <laughs> did, you have, did you have a library board meeting tonight, perhaps? No, no, we're off this week. So not even wow. that excitement. Wow. Well, I do want to make one quick announcement. Uh, next week, we're going to be discussing the Earwolf podcast stranglers um, and I'm telling you that at the top of the episode because you know you don't have to listen to the whole thing or really any of it before next week because we're going to be reviewing it but there are a lot of episodes of stranglers so if you've been interested in catching up and listening you might want to start the minute you finish listening to this podcast so that you can uh, mm-hmm. listen to it by next week wait, but again wait, 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 you don't wait, have wait, to yeah 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 I'm not saying you have to okay just let them know you don't want... send a mixed message now sweetheart <laughs> yeah it is it is long I started listening this week and I'm, I'm through like four episodes and, and it's been pretty intense. Fourth one so. was good though, eh? That uh, yeah. uh, the psychology one? I liked it. Yes. <laughs> Alright, so we have a very big true crime podcast update. I think worthy of a little um, extra echo. And um, how about I say it this time and then you can give us the rundown. You can do it, sure. True, true crime true podcast update. I'm going to say it wasn't as good. All right, you, you just go ahead and do it, Kevin. Yeah, so we have word out of Serial Land. <gasps> what? That the crew at Serial in This American Life will be dropping a new podcast called S-Town. Mm. S-Town, like maybe Small Town or Shit Town or- Serial Town. Serial Town. <laughs> Welcome to Serial Town. To the stage. And so a couple of interesting things about this. First of all, the whole crew has created sort of a new company called Serial Productions. Right. Which I think is going to be the podcast arm of This American Life, which if you're a big follower of public radio, you know, they kind of spun off from a station. This American Life is its own company. It's yeah. not like an NPR thing, yeah. Yeah, because it's gotten so big. They've got, apparently, in addition to Serial and S-Town, at least two other big projects that they're working on. The idea behind S-Town, again, it's another nonfiction look at a crime. It's set in rural Alabama, something Toby knows a little bit about. That's right. And apparently it has to do with an investigation into the son of a wealthy man who allegedly boasted about getting away with murder. And then what followed was a second death which led to the investigation to a nasty feud, a hunt for hidden treasure, and the mysteries of one man's life, according to printed published reports. Uh, what's very interesting about this is unlike Serial, which, of course, the concept was one story told week after week, they will drop all of the episodes of S-Town at once. Yeah, we're screwed. Be- very <laughs> very much like when Netflix drops a whole season of Orange is the New Black or House of Cards. There's a couple of podcasts that have dropped several episodes mm-hmm. at once. I only know one that has dropped them all at once, and that was the Billy Joel podcast, We Didn't Start the Podcast. It's the only podcast I've heard of that's actually done that. Right. You know, I think a lot of podcasts are built around the idea that we'll start and if we can grow and the audience grows, you know, the chance to monetize goes up. 
and well, you know, I mean, I think they probably have sold all the availability on any of those shows. It doesn't matter. But to drop them all at once, so now we've been binge watching TV. We will binge listen, which we're doing anyway. To S-Town. Right. Well, by the time we were listening to Serial season two, we had to kind of wait week to week. Right. A lot of people heard about the original Serial one word of mouth while it was in progress. So at some point, we all binged on Serial season one. You one did. episode, one afternoon. I listened to it week after week. Uh, yeah, I had to catch up on a couple. <laughs> and you guys, too, I probably presume you had to go back and catch up on episodes to get up to date, right? Yeah, I picked it up around That's like correct. episode eight or something. Also, that also made it very hard to do the investigation because from week to week, you know, there were outside influences that started shaping the narrative. But this whole idea that they're going to drop them all at once, and we don't know if that means eight or 10 or 12. Mm-hmm. It's new for Serial. Like, it's S-Town, but we all know it's Serial. You know, it's like, you know, Rogue One is still Star Wars, even though it's not, you know. But what if it isn't? But what if it is? So this is going to be a new way, I think, for listening to any podcast. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, Laura, do you think you will be able to not binge listen if they drop them all at once, or do you think you'll want to? I mean, do you have any any thoughts about this way of distributing a podcast? It kind of depends on the podcast. I mean, it's like when I start watching something on Netflix, like certain things I start binge watching and I'll get through like four episodes, like the OA, I started binge watching and then I'm like, you know what, the show is too freaky, I need to take a little break. So I think it really depends on the story uh, that they're telling, whether or not I'm going to you know, power through to the end or if I'm going to do it in chunks. What about you, Toby? What do you think? I think you're basically in charge of that on my end. <laughs> you mean I tell you what you have to listen to, so you're sometimes binging and sometimes doing one at a time? Yeah. Um, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. How about that? <laughs> I actually um, have mixed He's- feelings about it because I remember when Serial Season 1 came out, it was so good that you like, can't wait for the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was something really fun about having to wait for the next one with Serial. Like what, yeah. it was a lot of talking in between episodes about what it was going to be. Now granted, that's sort of how also how we started the podcast. Filling the void for us to talk in between episodes about what the next, next one was going to be, but it was also kind of fun and old-fashioned, but I do wonder if they are noticing listener habits, which I know I've certainly developed, like if I'm listening to an audiobook, like I gotta finish it. If I'm listening to, you know, Stranglers now, like I'm listening to it all the time, gotta finish it. Maybe they've figured out that people like this better. I don't know. What do you think, Kevin? Well, it could be an experiment. You know, you're right. We got to savor cereal because it was a week to week. And to get them all at once, I don't know how that's going to change the listener experience. It sounds like just, you know, from the tease of like what's going on in this story, that there are sufficient twists and turns where you can have a nice cliffhanger at the end of each episode that would be worthy of waiting another week to hear, but you'll be able to just click and go on to the next one. You know, the only sort of premium content maker that is still serializing stories right now that's very mainstream, like in our life, is HBO. Right. Like HBO mm-hmm. makes you wait a week for the next Game of Thrones. And we all talk about it all week long. And it also gives you the opportunity, like, if you can't watch it on Sunday night, you can watch it on Tuesday night or Wednesday night. But you watch it on Sunday because everyone's talking about you it Monday. You want to watch it at 9 o'clock yeah, on Sunday. It's one of the last, like, appointment TV must-sees. Right. Yeah, I think... You know, now listen to you guys. I mean, I think part of the the thing that was great about the first season of Serial was just that the time in between the episodes was not empty time if you were into it and you had friends who were into it because you just talked about it, right? You talked about it for six days. And then there was time to have those conversations 
which I think you you probably lose in this format. But I guess, you know, it depends on what the story is. Right. It could be they looked at the story and they're like, there's really nothing to be gained. You know, it doesn't have that same different facet every week. It may just be a story that gets told, in, in which case there's less to to kind of hold you over for that week. I hope this is not like the Galliano of podcasts. (laughs) What do you mean by that, Kevin? I I think I know where you're going with this. Well, do you guys, you guys know the liqueur Galliano, right? Oh, I I thought you were talking about that Nazi fashion designer. (laughs) No, Jesus. (laughs) Nazi fashion Wow. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. No, it's Galliano. It It comes in the big ass tall bottle. Yeah, it's like this liqueur and it's what you put in a Harvey wall banger. It's It's the only thing you can use. It's the only thing you (laughs) put, right? You basically take a screwdriver and put a floater of Galliano on top, and that's a Harvey wall banger. And Galliano comes in, the only way you can get it is in a bottle. That is about... Three feet tall. Three feet tall. It doesn't fit on any shelf. (laughs) It's too tall for anything. And it's like the only size you can get. And you only need a floater. (laughs) So you could still get like a nip size bottle of Galliano and it would be a lifetime supply. (laughs) It's like sap. So you got to make like 1,500 wall bangers. You do. And you're not going to do that. So the only way they make money is here's a giant bottle. You will have to buy the giant bottle. And not only that, but it is an inconvenient bottle. So what you're saying is maybe it's not good, and that's why they're releasing it. So you're right. Yes, you got to take it all at once. I doubt it. This team makes really, really good content. But I will say, for full transparency for our audience, you don't like Galliano. No, I don't like Galliano. But we don't know what we're going to do. We're actually talking about how we're going to cover this podcast. So stay tuned. There might be some uh, production news around that. We'll see. But we're definitely covering it. We're definitely, definitely going to talk about it. It doesn't like it doesn't say cereal in the name, but I mean, I think we all know this is cereal. Yeah, and it's not Sarah Kane. It's our bread and butter, damn it. But it's it's (laughs) it's the same machinery inside, and it's they've been working on this for three years. All I'm saying is, I hope there are eight and not (laughs) twelve. So, do we know? the date that this is going to happen? March. So, sometime in March. We just know it's March. Okay. We don't know if it's March Well, 1st, it'll be March a Beyonce 18th. thing. They'll drop it all at once. That's right. On some Thursday morning, <laughs> we'll just wake up at random guys, and be like, You guys need a bad oh, phone. Shit. We need to record 12 podcasts today. All right. Call in sick. You need 12 hours set aside. All right. Well, I'd like to move on to another regular segment we do, something that has a name that reflects real life events. Kevin, can you please announce that segment? True crime update. So much better than me. What can I say? So we've been getting a lot of email and tweets this week about a huge case that broke right here in New Hampshire and made national news. A potential serial killer, as it turns out, is responsible for a long-time mystery that a lot of people who follow true crime have been tracking for years and years. This is a story that Kevin and I know quite a bit about. Uh, Before we weigh in, let's just quickly listen to a very quick conversation I had with a reporter who's been covering it. I'm Jason Moon. I'm a reporter with New Hampshire Public Radio. Well, we worked there together, full disclosure. we worked there. And you've been covering a story that I have long been following and long been really interested in. And it basically started as a mystery. So do you want to just like fill my listeners in on what the mystery was? Sure. Yeah. So this story started for me, I think, almost a year and a half ago. It was just going to be a sort of another, frankly, boring news press conference. We got a release from the attorney general's office about a missing persons case, a cold case. So I went over to the press conference and immediately became sort of enthralled in this mystery of what happened to four people that were found dead in the woods of Allenstown, New Hampshire. Basically, the mystery is that in 1985, there were two bodies found in a barrel in the woods just outside of Bear Brook State Park. 
and were never identified. One was a woman in her late 20s, and the other was a, a child, I think, in a, around 10. And the uh, investigation basically went nowhere for 15 years. And there's a reason for that, which I think uh, you'll probably hear Kevin and me talk about on the podcast after this yes. part of the podcast. And then in the year 2000, so 15 years after the discovery of the first barrel, a new state trooper was taking up the cold case and went back out to the site just to sort of familiarize himself with the crime scene and amazingly stumbled upon another barrel with two more bodies about 300 feet from where the first one was found. And there were two more younger girls in that barrel around two or three, three or four. And they still remain unidentified. So four bodies in the woods in Allenstown. What we do know is that they are related, likely a family. So the oldest victim and youngest and oldest of the children were related. So most likely a mother and, and two daughters. Then there was the middle child, another girl, who wasn't maternally related to the victim, but just last week we found out that she is related. To the likely perp in yes. this case. One thing that always amazed me about this was that there is a database of missing people in the United mm-hmm. States. And these four people as a group didn't match any known missing persons case in the U.S. And this is one of the big reasons why investigators were so interested in it, because there weren't matches. There weren't even like close matches. It wasn't even like there was a group of three people and a group of one. Like, yeah. There was just no, nothing to correlate it with. Yeah. Any any law enforcement official I interviewed about this story was very adamant about just how rare that was. Two of the kids should have been in school, mm-hmm. so there should have been some school records there, but uh, just nothing. It's an absolute vacuum of information regarding who these people are. And it's amazing to me and it's amazing to people who try to solve these things as a living. And so, so you then spent some time digging into the forensic story. This was like long before we had this resolution come this week. You were thinking like, so what are they doing? Because they, they came out with this announcement that they were going to have some renewed information and a new look at the case using some new technology. So right. what forensically has been going on with these uh, four bodies and with the investigation? I, well, I think they've done just about everything you can do to remains at this point. At that first press conference that I, when I was introduced to this case, the story was, this is the last thing we can try. And what they had just done was something called radioisotope testing, mm-hmm. which is something that I didn't know was possible before I went there. Scientists using a, a technique that really comes from geology, where they take a, a sort of a mass spectrometer and look at the atomic characteristics of your bones. And basically, because of a variety of environmental factors, they can tell things about the environment you lived in. So one of the most interesting things to me was that because we used leaded gasoline for so many decades before unleaded gasoline, basically the entire environment, the whole world is lightly polluted in lead, lead lead particles from the exhaust from all these cars using leaded gasoline. But depending on what country you were living in, you were getting exposed to lead that originated from different lead quarries. So if you were in the United States, you would get a certain kind of lead in your body. And if you were living in Europe or somewhere else, you'd get another kind of lead. And the investigators were able to use that to help ID the nationality of a victim, at least, mm-hmm. which is a kind of a great silver lining to decades of pollution. Right. <laughs> it's an upside. Yes. <laughs> they, they were thinking that all along. And so they did that testing to the Allenstown victims and looked at other things like the kind of factors that could tell them about what kind of drinking water they'd been exposed to and a a few other things and were able to give a kind of rough map 
that included just these kind of broad swaths of the United States where these people might have come from, mm-hmm. including parts of New England and New Hampshire, but also up into the Midwest. Right. So that was the thing that you've been following up on for the last few months. You've been talking to forensics people. You've been talking to you know, people involved on the investigation side with the ITOR doing some reporting or a podcast on that. And yeah. then, <laughs> and then. <laughs> something really big happened. Was it two weeks ago that we got that press release that the cold case unit in the AG's office was going to be doing a search of a house in Manchester right. related to a missing persons case? Right. When those releases were first coming out, my ears did perk up because of the date, which is 1981 mm-hmm. when Denise Bowden went missing from Manchester. And for for reasons that I think are worth exploring in a podcast... She wasn't reported missing until just, I think, a few months ago. Right. So it wasn't a cold case. Right. Right. And then we found out last week that it was very related. Yeah. In one of the longest, most detailed press conferences I've ever seen <laughs> by a law enforcement official with a very fancy PowerPoint, by the way. Yes. Um, so for our listeners who may not have heard, some of them have, because we've been getting a lot of emails and tweets, people asking if we're going to talk about this case. What did Senior Assistant Attorney Jeff Strelzen, head of the homicide unit at the New Hampshire Attorney General's office, talk about at that press conference? Well, he had a lot to talk about. And you're right. They did have a a lengthy PowerPoint along with many documents that they (laughs) distributed to the press, which are quite detailed. And I have to say, I'm quite grateful for that. What they announced was a kind of incredible discovery that not only was the Denise Bowden missing persons case connected to the Allenstown case, but that those two cases, which are in New Hampshire, were connected to another murder in California that happened in 2003. And they're all connected by one man who went by the name Bob Evans in New Hampshire, but also went by something like four or five or six other names elsewhere in the country. And it's sort of a incredible series of dots that were connected here, starting with his conviction for the California murder in 2003. He murdered his wife in California in 2003, who he was married to in a sort of informal backyard ceremony. And he's been using all these aliases around the state, around the country, and eventually the police in California find out that he's also someone else. And that begins a sort of chain reaction of Bob Evans is this guy who's also this guy who's also this guy that starts to connect him to other cases. And he's dead. And he's dead. He died in 2010. Right. Yes. He died in prison after being convicted of the 2003 murder. Right. So a lot of these dots have been connected post his death. Right. right? And so I think in some ways it's almost like an advantage because you're not going to have somebody who's being defended against an investigation when they're when mm. they're dead. Like you can really go for it. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. But yeah. yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot still to uncover. I mean, we have some parts of his timeline of his life but there's large chunks that are still missing. To tell it from the other direction, he, Bob Evans, was with Denise Bowden when they went missing in 1981, and uh, it must have been either shortly before or shortly thereafter that he murdered the Allenstown victims mm-hmm. and placed them in the woods in Allenstown. We don't know what happened to Denise Bowden, but you know it's fairly safe to assume that she was also murdered, never found a, a body. But he also took Denise Bowden's daughter, who was very young, 
at the time they left with him across the country to California. He stayed in an RV park for some time. With Denise or without Denise? Was she with him in we California? We don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. so she, they were together in New Hampshire when she had the daughter. And then next thing you know, he's in California with her daughter. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right. And he eventually gives the child away to another family he met at this RV park, which led to some of the first charges that were brought against him, which were for child negligence for doing that. He was arrested in 1989 on the child abandonment charge, and he was sentenced to three years. And then a few months after he was sentenced, he was paroled, and then he left the next day. Well, did anybody ask the question, whose kid was that? That's unclear to me at this point. Yeah. Um, Something else you need to look into. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what's so interesting to me about this is that you really were looking at an unsolved case. You were looking at something that was going to be a package of like— this is what the situation is. This is what's being done. This is what they've done so far. You have this very interesting forensic material, which I think I've never heard reported in a long form before. And then now there is a whole other layer. So we now have a serial killer, which I think right. is interesting. One of the things that happened at that press conference that I thought was interesting was that a reporter asked, are you classifying him as a serial killer? And our senior assistant attorney general said, He's many of the characteristics of yeah. a serial killer. The He's pattern hesitant. is the same. Yeah. But he didn't want to use those words. I think those words carry with them something. Yeah, I think he was very conscious of the fact that he was speaking to a room of reporters right. when, he was, when he was saying that. We all wrote serial killer in the headline, though. I know I did. Yeah. And I wrote the story <laughs> right. for, for our outlet. <laughs> when it didn't I matter. took yeah. your story and, and posted it there. So what's next for you? Like, What are you going to be doing next as you continue to work on this podcast? Well, certainly there's a, there's a greater sense of urgency around it now. I mean, I, I've been working on it for months and more than once joked that they would solve it before I finished it. <laughs> and the joke has come true. So it certainly has changed structurally. So it was a story about these victims in Allentown and the variety of techniques people were using them both high tech and very low tech uh, where I you know I've been speaking to a woman who who lives in Maine who's been approaching this from a very sort of shoe leather amateur detective sort of obsessively working at this case for many years I spoke to a lot of folks who who lived in Allentown at the time of the murder or the time of the discovery anyways and the story was just going to be about this sort of incredible mystery and now you know it have to be about a series of mysteries really I mean there's Allentown is just a piece of it and there's the case of Denise Bowden why and how you can disappear and not be reported missing for 35 odd years the case in California is a story and frankly just the life of this this guy. I mean, who is? I mean, Bob Evans is what we're calling him, but we don't know if that's his actual name. Right. It's just the alias he was using in New Hampshire. Does it make you wonder? I mean, I know what I'm wondering is how many other people did this guy kill? I mean, have you thought about that at all? Absolutely. And I think on the law enforcement side, people are thinking about that as well, because there are decades of his life that we don't know. But I mean, they don't even know when he was born. I mean, so there's so much that we don't know about this guy. And if it took 30, 40 years to find out that he killed these people, what's to say that you know, there's not many more victims out there. And and they know, you know, there are sort of reported sightings of this guy in several other states, including Idaho and Texas. And, you know, you just don't know what he's up to. And if he's capable of killing at least, what, six, seven people, then you have to wonder. Well, Jason Moon, thank you so much for filling us in on this uh, pretty spectacular case that just all came crashing down last week right here in New Hampshire. Right here in New Hampshire. Little did you know when you moved here, this is what you'd yeah. be looking at. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for having me.
on the lookout. Jason Moon is a brilliant writer and a great reporter, and NHPR will be producing a podcast based on the Allenstown Four and the serial killer who is known right now as Bob Evans. Kevin. Yes. I intimated there that there's a reason why you and I know a whole lot about this case. Can you just give a quick synopsis as to why we've been talking about this case in our house for approximately eight years? Well, it's it's funny because it is a tangential plot point in one of our early books, Our Little Secret. And our book primarily deals with the murder of Danny Paquette in November of 1985. He was shot and killed in his backyard the day before the first two bodies were discovered in the barrel. Right. And what is interesting is that Danny was shot apparently by a random bullet that came out of the woods on the first day of hunting season, mm-hmm. is what people suspected at first. Spoiler alert, it wouldn't be a book if that were actually It wouldn't be the book if that <laughs> But if you were to draw a line back from the shot into the woods, it would go into Bear Brook, Brook State yeah. Park. Yeah. And what ended up happening is that the two investigations ended up sort of being bifurcated because personnel had to leave the Paquette investigation to go look at this find of, of these two bodies. And mm-hmm. what was amazing was the whole time there, about 300 feet away, there was another barrel with two bodies in it that right. nobody noticed. Right. Yeah. So this investigation was hampered by the Paquette investigation, which, by the way, another spoiler alert, turned out to be a clusterfuck of an investigation for a variety of reasons. A lot of twists and turns yeah. in it. And well, here we have two cases yeah. within a day of each other that both took... Year. 20 plus years. Exactly. In this case, 30 plus years or more to be solved. So, Laura, you've been tracking this case for a long time too, right? The Allenstown Four, as it is known in the true crime lexicon out there. Yeah, I have. I, this is a case I've definitely been keeping track of. It's just a case that it never really seemed to have any leads or answers. And it was just horrible details that made you really hope that something was going to happen with this case. It was so unusual because. Right. To have absolutely no idea, you know, you would think a missing person, and they looked at mm-hmm. everything, mob hits, and they looked at every missing person, Jane Doe case, they had just absolutely no idea who it was. I do want to give one quick shout out to Danielle Erie, one of our Twitter followers, who just today tweeted at us that she bought our copy of Our Little Secret, <laughs> and she got this book, and she sent us a picture of it, and it looks like... It had been in somebody's backpack for about 10 years. <laughs> used copy. A used copy. But it's autographed. Huh. And so oh. I was like, it probably is autographed to someone named Timmy or something like that. But hey, mm-hmm. Daniel, thanks for buying the book, even if it probably only spent six. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for buying it used, Daniel. No, no, she said, she said she bought it on Amazon, so word up, girl. <laughs> I don't know if that helps us out or not. Yeah, yeah. But you'll, you'll, she'll, you'll, she'll get to the Allenstown body part. Yes, she will. Well, I was watching the press conference at... My job in the newsroom, I was actually audio taping the video feed of the press conference for Jason for the podcast mm-hmm. because we didn't know for sure that this was going to be a break in the case. We just thought it was going to be an hour. We didn't know. We certainly didn't know it was going to be a two hour press conference at which they were going to say there's a serial killer whose real identity is unknown, who is likely responsible for these six murders and who knows how many more. And by the way, we need your help identifying not only who more victims might be, but who this serial killer might be. His identity is unknown. Laura, what do you you think of those details? I am just fascinated by this case. You know, as soon as I saw, whenever that was a few weeks ago, because I always, probably like you guys, whenever there's a new case that comes on the news that's somehow murder related, I'm like, ooh, what's 
going to like this week we had one up in Farmington, two women stabbed. I'm like, ooh, what's this going to be? You know, so when I saw they were searching this house and this woman had never been reported missing, um, like this is and I'm thinking, ooh, they're going to find her in the house or something. And then they didn't. Um, But just as the details came out. I'm thinking, how in the hell are they going to track this guy? They don't know what his real name is. They don't know what his birth date is. They really don't know who he was. But I'm really hoping that maybe this is going to jog somebody's memory somewhere and we might get some more information. But it it makes me wonder how many people are out there and where else he might have been killing people. Yeah, I have a theory um, that I'm comfortable floating because he's dead. (laughs) 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 That's okay, right, Kevin? Yeah, that's legally okay. So it seems to me from the timeline that the senior assistant AG laid out that this guy had a pattern of hooking up with women who had young daughters uh, and young kids or young daughters. So I think, you know, someone did ask the question in the press conference whether or not they knew if he was an abuser or not, like if he was if he molested kids. And Jeff Strelson was very reticent to answer that question, I think, in part because one of their sources in this case has been the daughter of Denise Bowden, who's alive and well, who's in alive and California well, and, and and gave a statement using one name, Lisa. Um, she's going to be anonymous, I guess, an anonymous source for the investigators. And I don't know if they wanted to sort of put any details about that out there, or whether or not she you would even remember because she was really really young when he gave her away. But I wonder if a break in the case might be if this is circulated other parts in the country. They suspect he might have gone. You know, somebody somewhere may have had a mom who disappeared who dated this guy and might remember this guy because um, mm-hmm. he, he definitely seems to have a pattern of hooking up with people with kids I mean the woman and the two kids in the barrel were related and then the third kid in the barrels was his um, which makes you wonder where's that mom it does make you wonder where that mom mm-hmm. where that mom it also makes you wonder like who are these people if they could just disappear and nobody would ever report it which by the way is the same thing that happened with Denise Bowden so mm-hmm. I wonder if he does a good job of making a family think the person has left voluntarily and then kills them. It kind of reminds me of Kevin's the Sheila Labar case because the people, you know, she's a suspected serial killer that Kevin has written about who lived one town over from me and she preyed upon people at a homeless shelter, people that nobody would know were missing, you know, people that wouldn't be reported. I think we've pretty much established so far that people need to go back and buy some Kevin Flynn and Rebecca Lavoie books <laughs> because they're pretty good and they're coming back around again. We haven't really pitched our books in a long time, so apparently you can get them all rat-eared and everything like all, that. All Amazon. product pimping aside, Toby, um, do you know who Bob Evans is? Uh, he's a restaurateur, right? <laughs> That is like a oh, chain yeah, restaurant, right? The red buildings, yes. They're little red restaurants that look like chicken coops. <laughs> that's his alias? My question Do is- Do you also have an alias like Ronald McDonald? He, he had, he had yeah, many, that's what I was wondering. aliases. I don't know. I'm Mr. Horton. Timothy Horton. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. We're making jokes Dunkin about Dunkin' Donuts? <laughs> I'm Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Colonel Sanders. <laughs> oh God! Any anybody else? Anyone want to throw another joke on the pile? Just Wendy. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, so Kevin, any final thoughts on the Allenstown Four and the huge break in this case, and uh, what we should be on the lookout for? Well, I'm on the lookout for Jason's podcast. Mm-hmm. And do we know when that's going to be done? 
Well, it was a lot closer to being done before the huge break in the very case. much. You're, you're don't you have that in the dark? We're having it in the dark blessing moment. slash curse yes. of having the the case solved just before your podcast. Right, it's a lot more reporting out. to do, but a lot of the reporting has been done at least on the investigation into the body's mystery. Yeah, well, I really am interested in hearing sort of all of that because even though we sort of again know the ending, uh, we don't know all of the other. Enterprise journalism that went into his story. And I think, you know, when you're talking about finding bodies in a barrel, the only thing worse than that would be finding yourself over a barrel when you're trying to buy blinds. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why you can end that fear thanks to selectblinds.com. Oh, new sponsor, Select Blinds. Yeah, Select Blinds won't gouge you. Wait, that's a fancy sponsor, Select Blinds. They are. They won't gouge you. Okay. Okay. Uh, Like those big greedy blind corporations. You know, if you go to their website, they have over 175,000 five-star reviews. Really? Yeah. For blinds? For blinds. It would never occur to me to like think enough good things about my blinds to like... To be motivated to go... <laughs> yes, leave a five-star review. And do a five-star review. you've never had good ones. It's true. I've always had shitty like yeah. department store blinds. <laughs> yeah. Now, select blinds, of course, it's do-it-yourself, but that doesn't mean you do it alone. Because if you if you can hang a picture, you can hang blinds. They have specialists that'll walk you through the process, and they've got fantastic blinds. Tremendous, great, great blinds. I've heard Roman Mars brag about his select blinds on his podcast before. Yeah, it's a very simple way. Just you shop at selectblinds.com. Take a look at everything that they've got. And if you mention our show at checkout, you can get some sample swatches of the room darkening blinds or shades of your choice absolutely free. Huh. They'll ask you on the way, how did you hear about us? Crime Writers on. That's how you do it. There's no promo code. You tell them. That's how it works. Go to selectblinds.com. Selectblinds.com. Too much sun in your house? Take care of that problem. Help us out. (laughs) That's good. I have that problem in my office, and I have some really cheap blinds right now, so I might have to check out some better blinds. Tell them you heard about it here, Laura. (laughs) I will. I will. What are wrong with your blinds? What is wrong with my blinds now? They're like cheap plastic, and my uncle hung them up for me and told me, don't touch them. They might fall down because they're so cheap. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, a couple of red flags there, Laura. Yeah. So being the frugal Yankee that I am, I've left them up, and I haven't touched them. Don't even let the sun come into this window. From the outside. It's going to melt your blinds. Yeah, the blinds could <laughs> burst into flames at any moment. Well, why don't you go tell your uncle about selectblinds.com and the great deal he can get just by mentioning Crime Writers On when he checks out. Anything else, Kevin? Well, I mean, speaking of, like, robbery. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> were we? <laughs> Was that what we were talking about? <laughs> we were, and you know that thousands of people... <laughs> <laughs> get robbed. Their homes get robbed every day. That's true. It's sad. It's true. It's true. The people up the street, right at, on Christmas Day. Oh no. Oh, and you know when they get get robbed the second time because they mm-hmm. get stuck with these long term contracts and huge checks for security systems. Oh, is this a Simply Safe ad? It is totally Simply Safe. Yes. This is the better, smarter way to protect your home. There's no annual contracts and there's no commitment or lock ins. Period. You get professional monitoring, police dispatch, and the superior protection that you want for less than half of what those other companies are charging. And best of all, with Simply Safe, 24-7 protection is just 15 bucks a month. That's cheap. That is cheap. That's like 50 cents a day. Oh, yeah. Cheaper I mean, than a cup of coffee. That's right. It's, Cheaper than a crappy cup of coffee. It's a little more on like in February, but it's less than that in March. In January, yeah. You get the, okay. I do. 31 I get the days. math. Okay, good. I do. <laughs> but most places charge three times that much. Okay. 
That's like a dollar fifty a day. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's unbeatable. Prote- it adds up over Land a year. A plane, God Kevin. damn it! Land All a right. plane. Yeah, it's unbeatable <laughs> protection and a great value, and there's no strings attached. So. To protect Not like Laura's cheap lines. No, God. <laughs> you can hang yourself with them. Yeah, you, yes. You can capture a burglar and let them burst into flames <laughs> if they're caught in Laura's window blind trap. Or you can go to simplysafe.com slash criminal and get 10% off your system today. It's S-I-M-P-L-I safe.com slash criminal. Just like that other podcast, but not. But just you remember, <laughs> in your heart, you're buying for us. You're buying for Crime Writers On, even though the promo code is criminal. Simplysafe.com slash criminal. So I think it's time to move on. As part of our continuing mission of telling you, should you watch, listen to, or read this, we are now going to give you our thoughts on a recent documentary that we all watched, some of us under duress, because it's getting a tremendous <laughs> uh-huh. amount of buzz. It's called Beware the Slender Man. It's available right now on HBO and on HBO Go and probably some other places, but that's how we watched it was HBO. Through illegal Russian streaming websites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I once tried to torrent something and I just could not fucking. Figure I don't know it how out. those people it's do so it. So complicated. Yeah. FBI safe with us. Don't worry. <laughs> it's true. We it's got true. Nothing. This documentary, Beware the Slender Man, looks at the really, really frightening 2014 stabbing attack committed by two 12-year-old girls, Anissa Wire and Morgan Geyser, against their friend and classmate in a suburban Wisconsin town. The girls confessed to committing the crime to appease the Slender Man, a fictional internet boogeyman that first came to prominence on a website called Creepy Pasta. Now, the documentary included the victim's name, but for a variety of reasons... I'm not going to in this discussion. Okay. If you guys want to, that's okay. Uh, I feel like, I don't know. I don't I don't want to. I don't know. I know it's out there, but I don't want to. So we're not going to. And also the film does focus on the families of the perpetrators. So it also seems appropriate to me for that reason. So, Toby, you described this documentary to me in an email as the flip side of Stranger Things. Can you explain why you said that? Yeah, well, I think it, it has, you know, the kids are in you know, in their minds in the same situation that the kids in Stranger Things are in that they're sort of secretive in regards to their parents. They think they have some knowledge of a threat to themselves and their family that their parents won't get and won't believe, and they take action themselves. Yeah, really uh, scary action. Right. So really, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to like, you know, minimize what they did, but I, I think it struck me, and I, and I assume we're going to talk about this in a minute, that with all the different pop culture things that come up, that this idea that, that happens again and again and again in movies, kids are often in the know about things that parents aren't. Right. And the way that things turn out okay is for the kids to take action E.T.'s like that. Mm. Stranger Things is like that. I mean, you can go on and on, I think. And I don't know if, if these girls were thinking about that stuff, but that is kind of a trope in It's a in trope movies. in our culture. Yeah, I think yeah. so, That's too. a really good point, Toby. It yeah. is. I mean, it's something that we've talked about before that teenagers, and you know, we, and we know in the, in the crimes we've reported on where teenagers committed the crimes, very often their largest motivator is mom and dad not finding out what they're up to. Like, that's a huge motivator. For young people, you always say, like, why didn't Jay go to the police, you know? <laughs> well, because, like, kids don't want to get in trouble. Like, that is a huge top of mind. Right. And, and in horror fiction, whether it's Dracula or it's Friday the 13th, is those people are, are the victim group mm-hmm. are always separated from the authorities. Right. 
or from the rest of the world. They either won't believe them, they're on their own. Right. Right. It is up to them to try to prevail. And in this real life case, that's kind of how they felt. And it's also sort of part of the legend of Slender Man and the way he has captured the imagination of this generation largely through the internet is, is sort of the way these stories are passed and the ways legend grows. Now, Laura, I, I just want to get back to the real life crime for a second because, mm-hmm. you know, all four of us have kids in the range of age of the kids who committed this crime or mm-hmm. have recently had kids in that range of age. All four of us have kids who love technology and it's mm-hmm. a big part of their mm-hmm. lives. And when this case happened, on a scale to one to ten, how much did it freak you out? It totally freaks me out because it's young. When you see young kids doing things so violent and that it's tied to this basically internet urban legend, and I'm one of those parents, I don't know about you, I am like on my child's ass about the internet. I mean, he is on the internet a lot, but I check everything he goes on. I look at everything. But yet, after I watched this this week, we're having dinner and I'm like, oh, Will, have you ever heard about the Slender Man? And he's like, oh, that's probably from Creepypasta. And I'm like, how the fuck do you know about Creepypasta? Right. You know, I said it in a little bit kinder terms. He's like, oh, my friend likes that site. And I'm like, these are fourth graders who know about this site. I mean, oh, yeah. it's it's terrifying to me. How old, Absolutely what grade terrifying. Were the girls in? Like well, six? they were twelve. Yeah, so they must have yeah. been like twelve. So they're probably in fifth or sixth grade. It's it's something that if you know about the internet and you're a kid, you know about it. My kids have known about it. Do you remember my younger son, who's fourteen now? When he was nine and ten, he would have nightmares about Slenderman. Remember, he used mm-hmm. to draw pictures oh. of him and nightmares about him. It's just sort of out oh, really? there. But what's oh. interesting to me about Slenderman, the myth, is that Slenderman looks very much like the scary mythological creature in like every story ever. The tall, skinny, disproportionate, long-armed, long-legged creature mm-hmm. looks like the aliens in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It looks like the evil guy in that Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, Hush. Mm-hmm. Those like scary, suited, quiet, you know, mute guys that were floating around. Looks like every Tim Burton creature mm-hmm. in every like Tim yeah. Burton movie. That imagery... Yeah is not new. It sort of touches something, I think, that's very, very base, and it's kind of a Pied Piper story, right, Toby? Yeah. You know, at one point, they, one of the experts, I can't remember who it was, says, depending on who's doing the telling and who's doing the listening, that it can take a bunch of different forms, but one of the things that clearly shows up in a lot of the art, and I would assume some a lot of the stories, is that he's actually friendly to children, you know, the Pied Piper thing is a guy who's who's friendly to children, but for a, a kind of sinister reason. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't quite getting that. The whole Pied Piper thing, I, I wasn't quite sure if that worked that well in the movie because it didn't seem like that analogous to Slender Man. I mean, I, I was, you could see that there was, I guess, some similarities, but I, I just didn't see why that particular fairy tale they thought fit the Slender Man story. They used it, and then you tried as a viewer to fit Slender Man within that frame. You know, if you go in the other direction, I, I don't know if it's that effective. I don't think, and this is just my take on it, I don't think that the comparison is supposed to be that the fictional character Slender Man is like the fictional character, the Pied Piper. I think that the moral of the story about the Pied Piper being, sorry adults, but there's something that can lure your children away from you 
is what the comparison is that the real life that the legend of Slender Man itself is that. Not that he is able to do something that makes kids want to follow them in the woods. It's more or less Slender Man is there capturing the imagination of certain kids. We're figuratively losing them. I'm going to lay my cards on the table here because I really want to shift gears in our discussion of this case and of the documentary. One of my huge problems with this documentary, even though I enjoyed it, even though I was creeped out by it, there were parts of it I thought were very strong. I actually have a real problem with these morality plays about technology and the internet and video games and rock music and heavy metal and the cultural influences that make kids do bad things, right? Because later in the movie, and we'll talk about this in a minute, we get some pretty strong reveals about the real reasons why these girls did this thing that whatever their influence was maybe doesn't matter, maybe. So that being said... I think the movie was a little heavy-handed in the legend stuff and in the computer stuff and in the my kid was alone with his iPad stuff because let's face it, all of our kids are alone with their iPads all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. And I have issues with my son and his you know computer and his gaming thinking like, Jesus, like his room is like never going to get clean and his homework isn't going to get done. We are not, most of us, dealing with a situation where our kids are going to stab their friends. This is a different in very specific situation that I think gets revealed later in this film. But one of the things that really sets the film apart, which is very different, and Laura, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on this, was that you know the sources for the film were the parents of the perpetrators. They were the main characters in this film, and we saw very much the portraits of family members of kids who had committed this horrible crime. What did you think of that angle and what did you think of these families? You know, I have to say, I was kind of surprised when I first started watching this that the family members had chosen to take part when this case hadn't even gone to trial yet. Mm -hmm. And that they were doing these interviews while they're still having court proceedings deciding if these children are going to be tried as children or adults. But, you know, as I'm watching, I'm like, this is definitely, and I don't want to give a spoiler for something else we're going to talk about, but it was really giving a window into parents of children that end up having pretty serious mental health issues and mental illnesses. I felt like, you know, they could have been any parent. They, they had no idea what was actually going on with their kids. They were like, well, they were marching to their own drum, one of the girls, but no real sign that it was anything worse than that. But the thing that I did think about this, though, was that it was definitely told from the point of view of the parents. And I kept finding myself thinking, where's the victim in this case? Right. Why aren't we hearing anything about the victim? It was really kind of a black hole with regard to the victim. We heard in the beginning who she was. Mm -hmm. We heard in the end that she was okay. So I kind of wondered if this like super access they had to the families really sort of precluded them from maybe doing other interviews or looking at other angles that they might have done had they not had these families like kind of handed to them in the way that it seemed like they were. I'm sure that if the victim's family wanted to participate, they would have. I mean, these guys ended up hooking up with PhDs of every sort of ilk Mm -hmm. all over the world via Skype. I can't imagine that they decided, well, we're not going to go ask the victim's family if they want to participate, too. It would just make this documentary way too good. Laura, do you have the feeling that maybe the perpetrator's family has participated because they thought maybe it would help their daughters not be tried as adults in this case if, if they got a sympathetic portrait out there? Yeah, I mean, it seems like these kids, you know, essentially confessed to the crime. So at this point, really, their only defense is 
that their mental state. And I feel like that the family really, both families were relying on that pretty heavily in the way that they were portraying what led up to this and what happened. So if you're a parent and your child is in the situation, I can't say I would do the same thing. Right. Well, you know, if I was in a position where I was advising them and they were in that situation, I'd be like, by all means, get a documentary made because all these podcasts and documentaries and stuff, they get so many people on the side of the protagonists and they put pressure. I mean, just think about making a murderer. It suddenly goes from this case that you might have like seen a little something about in the news to you've got people signing petitions. There's all this pressure. And so I think as a strategy to gain sympathy, and I'm not saying that pejoratively, but I think it's legitimate for the parents to think that this is a way that they can get some public sympathy for what is otherwise something in which they would normally, public opinion would obviously be against them. And I think that's the same reason why the victim's family probably did not want to cooperate, is like by humanizing Mm -hmm. the families and to a large extent also the perpetrators, you're bringing sympathy in their corner for people who did something, nearly killed your daughter. So I I can see why they wouldn't want to be involved. But if if I was in that situation, I was given the opportunity to make my case to a mass public audience that has shown itself to be compassionate and sympathetic to the protagonists in these kinds of documentaries. I would just leap at the chance, even though it it brings out a lot of tough stuff about those families, too. I think this documentary is really sort of in two parts. And I think the first hour is laying the groundwork for the Slender Man myth. Right. And uh, sort of the basic facts of the crime and the reasons why your average kid could get sucked into Yeah, the, which I have a, I don't agree with at all. Right. I, I think they were trying to convince us that of that. Well, I think when they're talking about the legend and stuff like that, I think you're in your mind you're thinking, okay, this is this the the reason why these girls went down this rabbit hole. And it isn't until halfway through when they get the court hearings and we're getting the psychological analysis that the documentarians are turning over the cards, right? which shows one girl has a personality disorder and another girl has a severe mental illness yep. at a very young age. And they both have become fixated on Slenderman. And at least one of them, well, I think they probably both really believe, but you know, to an extent that isn't just sort of unhealthy and it's, it is really delusional. Right. Here's why I call bullshit on the Slender Man stuff. And I, I know that is part of these very, very graphic confessions. We will talk about the legal stuff around this case in just a minute, I promise. Because this is what the girls said the reason why they did it was, right? Because they watched these videos and they were friends with this guy and that's what they said. But we have seen this again and again and again where a pop culture thing is blamed for animal ritual sacrifice, right? Heavy heavy metal music became sort of like the thing that was pointed to in the 1990s as the reason why there was all this teen violence, right? Mm-hmm. Violent video games is the reason why it's all pointed to that the school shootings happen, which, by the way, the research does not bear out. The research on video games right now from the like most cutting-edge researchers are that, with the very exception of a very few games, one of them being Grand Theft Auto, most games are team-oriented, pro-social, even if the imagery is violent, and 
not necessarily harmful if you have a healthy mentality. Right. And this goes back with. to comic books and exactly. black and white movies and everything like that. Look the at magic those shootings bullet in theory. Connecticut. That, you know, Adam Lanza. What, did, right. he, did he commit those shootings because he was playing video games all day or because he was severely mentally ill, right? So this is why I feel like the documentary framing this thing around Slenderman, yes, it's the thing that happened in the case that was an interesting Slenderman thing. Slenderman is, is not going to take an average kid and turn him into a killer. Right. However, if there is a person who has a severe problem and is prone to violence, they may attach mm-hmm. themselves to something like Slenderman. It could Man, be anything. But if not Slenderman, then something else. It could be the Stephen King books in your backpack. Right. It could be Minecraft. It could be anything. And I, I think that's kind of where I had some issues with it. Because I like Laura, I found these families... They were very sympathetic to me. Like I, I really felt for them. They showed a lot of what they were going through personally. We saw a lot of their personal lives. The dad was divorced, you know. By the way, Laura, well, too many cats in this thing. Way too many I, cats. I have to tell you, I was like, every time <laughs> we're looking at this dad, he's getting ready in the bathroom. There's the cat. He's helping the brother get ready for scouts. There's the cat. I'm like, oh. Cats, <laughs> so many. Cats. Somebody wrote to us and said, "How much B-roll of cats is there in this?" It's like it's like the drone footage in uh, <laughs> making a murderer. <laughs> it took me a while to figure out it was two cats, actually. Too. I think both families had cats, right? Or was it just the yeah. one family that had the cats? Just on a storytelling point, one of the things I thought was like particularly bullshit about the whole thing was that at different times they tease little bits of it. So they talk early on about how Morgan like until she was 11, believed in Santa Claus. Right. And that's just left to sit there. And then they talked to a woman about how small their like social bubble was, Mm -hmm. you know, and that if there'd been, you know, a group of 12 people, the same sort of like focused reinforcing wouldn't have been the same as with the two. And that probably the, the whole thing would not have happened. So then that's put forward as part of their mental processes. And to me, that's just bullshit because they know the whole time right. about mm-hmm. about the schizophrenia. And so I thought just from a storytelling standpoint that that was not respectful of the audience. And I, and I think a responsible editor would have gone back and said, you know, it's one thing to hold off on. And I, and I, I still have a big problem with that. And maybe we'll talk about that later, the whole mental health issues. But it's completely ridiculous to act like it's a different mental health right. issue right. and mm-hmm. then change it later. I found that difficult. I actually I completely it, agree yeah. with you. It's it's not only disrespectful to the audience, it's actually bad for the cause of mental illness. You know, it's like mm-hmm. we have here a family and it's not I don't think spoiling a documentary because you could look up the case and it's in all the articles, but Morgan's father was a schizophrenic. Morgan showed mm-hmm. symptoms of schizophrenia as a young child and her parents talk about it, but the documentary frames it like we didn't know. We just thought maybe she mm-hmm. was I have doubts. Maybe I'll be the contrarian in this. You, you know, this is kind of what we thought was fascinating about serial season two. Bo Bergdahl also has a, a schizotype. He was diagnosed after he was recovered from his being. He was not diagnosed. Like, we didn't know about no, this the whole well, time. Well, they didn't know about it until after the arrest. And the interviews start at the very latest two months after the stabbing, which is what we hear. So if it just came out of the blue halfway through that they had mental illnesses, that would seem like, you know, deus es machia. And if you know from the very beginning, you know, from the first five minutes in that they have mental illnesses, there's no... 
There's no story arc. So I see, like, you know, here are all the signs, because when someone finally tells them, this is what the diagnosis of your daughter, everything else clicks into place for them, because all of those pieces suddenly come together and mean something in real life. But I think when they were putting the film together at the end, Mm -hmm. they knew, Mm -hmm. right? And this also wasn't put together as, let's watch everything as it happened in real time, they discovered this, and they discovered this, and then they discovered this. Right. You know, they're bouncing all over the place. And I think even if they had cut that stuff without having an official diagnosis of schizophrenia, when you go back, you're like, why, why even leave this in? Right. Because it's deceptive to people because it sounds like, well, you know, there's like these little signs, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, they must have known something. They must have known that it wasn't that she believed in Santa until she was 11. A lot of kids you know, they, believe they, in Santa They're living with 11. a schizophrenic person in the yeah. father. Yeah, exactly. You know? That, 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 uh, was, the, that was the part to I, me that And I don't Felchie. believe that that other father would have worn that Superman t-shirt on two separate days. <laughs> that had to be the same day. All right, so I really do want to talk about, let's move on from sort of the Slenderman mythology, maybe bullshit, and the mental illness stuff. Let's talk about the legal stuff, shall we? Okay. Hey, Laura. What the fuck hey, with Rebecca. Wisconsin and uh, interviewing kids without an adult present? This, to me, is the real story they should have focused on more in this documentary. I agree. Um, you have 12-year-old girls suffering from severe mental illnesses. They don't have attorneys present while they're being interviewed by the police. And so this made me enraged because I felt a lot of sympathy for these kids because obviously this is a horrible thing that happened. And as a parent, I see this and I'm like, oh, my God, this is horrific. But then at the same time, that sort of defense side of me steps in and says, who the fuck was looking out for these kids? Like, this is awful when you're watching these interviews of them being interviewed. So I, I put out some queries to some of my defense friends as we had done, because we've talked about this before, when we talked about Brandon Dassey, because this is the same thing and same state. And, it, and it's not just Wisconsin. It's, it's all states. So, you know, when I was a defense investor, I'm just going to say our internal protocols was if I was going to go interview anybody that was under 16, I had to make contact with their parent, make sure it was OK, get permission. Sometimes the parents sat in. But that was just us being overly cautious. So in criminal cases, you know, my defense friends tell me, Children have no right to have a parent's present. It's um, true. And they can request an attorney, just like adults, but, you know, that's not going to sway it one way or other. You know, the real issue is whether or not the statement that they make to police is voluntary or coerced. Right. Um, and certain states can impose stricter regulations. So in Wisconsin, there is one case that people point to as sort of like the standard for authorities in Wisconsin interviewing juveniles. State versus Gerald, and it stems from three young men who robbed a McDonald's in Milwaukee back in 2001. And one of them was 14, and he was interviewed by the police. He claims he asked to call his parents, and he was not allowed to. And he appealed his case based on the you know assertion that he should have been allowed to call his parents. He was 14, and all this. But the court upheld what happened in this case. You know, basically saying that. Courts do need to use great care when they are talking to juveniles and assessing whether their confession was voluntary, but that it's still okay for police basically to talk to kids without parents. Wow, you are the smartest pole dancer I know. (laughs) Well, this makes me enraged. But this is what I'm going to say about this case, because I am like on like a tirade about this. How can two 12-year-old girls, one schizophrenic and one with delusional disorder, give voluntary permission to be interviewed by the police? Right. 
It wasn't in the documentary, but do we know if the lawyers have made any hay with trying to get those interviews thrown out? I don't know. I don't know. I I will say, to the defense of the police, if they're allowed to do it, which obviously they are, I thought both interviewers were fine. Uh, I thought yeah. they were both behaving in a way that didn't make It wasn't like Dassey. Like, it no. wasn't like no. Dassey. They were sitting and listening, and those girls were just talking and talk- and answering every question in a way that just made me... God, it was so... Chilling. And it, it, it does inform... I, I feel like when I, when I say I have problems with the whole use of Slenderman as a real boogeyman in this movie, we didn't need... All that parental griping about iPads. All we need to do is hear those confessions. They were so chilling. But I think the average Mm -hmm. viewer would, in the back of the mind, they're like, where are the parents? And I think that they gave them the the, the platform to at least try to answer that. No, we were watching the whole time. We knew what they were doing. Right, right. And then you find out later that- I say, of course you were. All parents are doing the best that they can do. And if your kid is has severe mental illness and can hide it from you, you monitoring their iPad use is not going to help them with that situation. I thought it was interesting to find out that Anissa, by the way, has the same disorder as Bo Bergdahl. Did you find that interesting? Mm -hmm. I actually made a note of that because I was like, isn't that the same thing? It is. Same thing. Ooh. Delusions. She was compelled to act based on something that wasn't real. And the way that the psychiatrist described it in court sounded exactly like the psychiatrist description of Bo Bergdahl, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. Um, so I just want to ask like a couple of final questions here. You know, one of the things that we saw was the experience of a parent with a child in prison, and Anissa making those phone calls to home, and the parents having to go visit and go to court. Total nightmare, right, Toby? Yes, I think both sets. Like a, even if you're like a smoothly functioning family unit, one of your kids is in prison, that's a nightmare. And then I think both these families, you know, on one end, watching this guy who at least appears to basically be raising the kids by himself, and he's trying to maintain sort of a normal lifestyle for his other kids, and making sure that his one kid being in prison isn't, you know, ruining their lives too. You know, it's heartbreaking to watch it. And there is a moment where he had kind of a problem with lingering on him with the camera while he's like fighting back tears for as long as they did. But it clearly is is highly, highly stressful. Yeah. And then the other family where you have this woman again who the other two members of her family are schizophrenic and the father learned how to deal with this. It's just it's really crushing in both circumstances, but for very different reasons. It is. And for me, I would say it's, I, I was very conflicted watching it. The Slenderman stuff itself, when I say this documentary freaked me out, I was freaked out to watch it. The myth itself, the imagery, is scary. And the way that mm. myths get spread now is so much more compelling than when we were kids, because now you can make videos that show that mm-hmm. the thing is real. Yeah, and all that imagery was not made by the documentarians. It's made by the... The users. fans, the users, yeah. It photographs. Uh, Including the very last shot of the documentary, which was some fan artist rendering of the two girls with Slenderman. Yeah. As if yeah. they are the patriot saints of the Slenderman. Somebody Man. put that on the internet, yeah. Yeah. It kind of brought it to me like, here they are, and they're drawn in and ruined by the legend, and now they are part of the canon of... Slenderman. Yeah, which it's sad on about a hundred levels. Yeah, I mean, I think those girls are tripping. Kind of like tripping.com, which is a great website. Oh my God. <laughs> for vacationers. Wait, 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 wait. 
you just transitioned to an ad from like the darkest like media conversation we've ever had. All right, so go ahead. Tell us about Tripping.com. Okay. What is it? It's for how you find your perfect vacation rental. Well, we all like vacation rentals, don't we, Laura? Ooh, I am all over this one. Don't yeah. we like vacation rentals, Toby? Yes, we do, <laughs> especially if they're in Costa Rica. <laughs> well, what, what we did this summer, too, is, you know, you could get a hotel, you could rent a house. From one of those, yeah, house rental services. We did all of our vacations this year with house rental services. Yeah, and you think of back in the old days, like with our parents, when they wanted to do that, they'd have to go like to a real estate agent, drive out to different places places and look at you know different homes now of course you can do that with the internet but how do you do it? there's a lot of different websites oh, well, yeah. with tripping.com they're able to draw upon over 10 million different properties wait so but, it aggregates all the stuff on those other websites yeah so like instead of just going to like a vrbo or tripadvisor or, or booking.com Airbnb. yeah they aggregate and put together all this stuff because the same properties you could have different deals on different websites huh. and with tripping.com you're able to f- find the widest selection of vacation rentals all in one place. That's cool. And I will say, you know, we can say that this was one of the best vacations that we had where instead of staying in a motel or a hotel, we had a very nice... Oh, I'm all about house rental. I'm yeah. all about... I did it on a work trip. I rented a beautiful apartment in Denver when I had to go to a conference. Instead of staying in a hotel room, it was cheaper. It was a huge loft. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. Of course, it took me a long time to find it. I had to go to like eight different websites to find that one. But uh, it sounds like this could be a good yeah. solution. And like if you're thinking about in the summer, you want a vacation at the beach. The thing you dream about is to have... To be on the beach. Yeah. You have one of those houses. You don't know how much that costs or when that's available, but now you can do that. You can find different areas. You could filter it by the price you want to pay, by the area you want to go to. Take a look at, well, the entire East Coast. Find that perfect home. And you can use tripping.com for that. And in fact, you'll save an average of 18% a night. Wait, do they have destinations that like in like other sites, like in the Caribbean and like vacation destinations as well? Rebecca. What do you think? I think they do. This is Tripping.com. All right, great. <laughs> yeah, so visit Tripping.com slash writers today to start and finish the search for your perfect vacation rental. That's Tripping.com slash writers. writers. Tripping.com slash writers. Wait, can I just ask a quick question of the panel before you move on? Yeah. Uh, Laura, would you recommend that our listeners watch Beware of the Slender Man? Yes or no? Well, I would recommend it, but I would say it's going to be a tough view. All right. What about you, Toby? I'm hugely conflicted. Quite honestly, and I, I, I think some of it was a little exploitive of the two girls. You sound like a no. I, I'm sort of I'm on the fence, and I guess I would probably come down, like you said, as a no. I think if you're interested in learning more about the case, and you're not going to buy into the bullshit that your iPad is going to turn your kid into a killer, you should watch a documentary with a grain of salt. I actually enjoyed <laughs> watching it, even though the subject matter freaked me out. I thought it was an interesting watch. Most of my conflicted feelings about it came afterwards as I was thinking about it. What about you, Kevin? Well, if you if you have a wife like I do that is scared of everything, is scared of everything <laughs> horror related, then I would that would be my trigger warning. Don't do it. But otherwise, I'm a yes. I think you should watch it. I think it's interesting. It tells me a lot about the case that. I didn't know about. I thought it was just two mean girls stabbing yeah. their friend. It's much deeper than that. And I think it's a it's a fresh look at an interesting case. Just very much like Hello Fresh. <laughs> <laughs> and the great meals that they send exact directly to your house. Oh man. Hello and, Fresh. Yeah, they want to change the way people eat forever. And that means they take their chef's special recipes. Healthy. Healthy recipes. 
Pack them in a little box, send them right to a your A little house. box, too. I like the packaging for HelloFresh. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't come in like in a giant bag. Very efficient. With, thing, you know, with the garlic all rolling around. Each meal is packed, and it comes with a, a recipe card, and it's very easy to follow. Mm-hmm. And you have wonderful meals. Skip the grocery shopping. Everything is there pre-measured, shipped right to your door, so you can just take it out of the fridge and go at it and have a great meal for either two people or four people. I really like having HelloFresh because it was very convenient, and I do like the variety of meals. They're not things that are overly complicated or crazy and things that like you can't pronounce. It would be embarrassed to say what you You can't pronounce the- quinoa, though. That's true. There is quinoa, <laughs> so maybe that's not the best example. Quinoa. Quinoa. So for $35 off your first week of deliveries, visit HelloFresh.com and enter Crime 35 when you subscribe. Like $35 off? Oh, Crime. okay. Crime 35. Visit HelloFresh.com and use promo code Crime 35. Crime 35. All right, now it's time to move on to my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the, the crime, crime of, of the week. The week. This week, it's about a high-tech holdup at a luxury hotel. Hackers targeted a four-star hotel in Austria, not only gaining control of the business's accounting system, but also locking all 180 guests out of their rooms. <laughs> the cyber bandits wouldn't open the doors until the hotel paid a ransom of 1,500 euros in Bitcoin. So now, to Bitcoin. avoid a repeat attack, the hotel is getting rid of all of its electronic entry cards and replacing them with old-fashioned locks and keys. So here is the question panel. What modern day device or creature comfort actually was a little bit better in its old school, old fashioned form? What do you think, Laura? You know, I have to say that, you know, though I do use the calendar function on my phone, I am definitely an old school. I like to have the handwritten calendar and the handwritten lists and the to-do list. For me, that's something that I just feel like can't be replaced by my phone or my computer. What about you, Toby? Zagnut bars. (laughs) (laughs) I found a new source for them, Toby. The Zeb's Country Store up in North Conway and also Caliph's Country Store. Oh, Caliph's. Like, that's actually Mm -hmm. accessible. That's close to you, yeah. Not that I actually want to get a Zagnut bar. Wait, are they advertising on our show right now? Caliph's and... uh, and, No. uh, No. no. Okay, just checking. Shame. Shame. Caliph's is a wonderful little country show. They've got great pickles and cheese. Mm -hmm. Nobody gives a fuck, Rebecca. If they come to New Hampshire, they should go check out Caliph's. Just saying. So, Toby, you're really going with Zagnut bars? Fucking shut up, Rebecca. Um, <laughs> what a creature comfort that was better back in the day. Yes. Yeah. How about like those rafts that you use to float in a lake? Okay. The lake used ones. to be made out of like a not particularly comfortable yet durable <laughs> fabric. Yeah. And so, now it's like these like five dollars from Walmart. Ah. And I literally we we had like eleven year old girls up for my daughter's birthday party up at my my uh, family's lake place. And a girl like tried to jump into one of the inner tubes and just blew out the entire bottom. <laughs> and she might have weighed 45 pounds or something. I blame the like, Slender Man for that, for sure. Yeah, it's totally Slender Man. <laughs> I don't know. I, th- that's a long way of saying I don't really have a very good answer for this one. What about you, Kevin? I think the telephone. The old I, the, school I think the, the old school landline. Yeah, the handle is shaped like a U, so a piece goes in your ear and a piece goes in your mouth. I mean, I love my iPhone, but as a phone... It sucks. You know, I mean, it's got some nice features, but I'm always putting my pinky over the microphone part, and 
I just think that works probably better. Huh. And plus, you, you can't take it in your car, so you have a little peace and quiet. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. Rebecca, well, how about you? Do you have something? I'm going to say the Hitachi Magic Wand for back massages. <laughs> Not for the reason wow. you think. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, I? no, I'm saying for back massages. I'm saying I'm going with, like, use it for what it was meant to be used for, people, <laughs> because it works for that. It does. It's I also, swear. It's also called the Slender Man. <laughs> Uh. all right we should probably end it on that note uh laura bricker do we have a cat of the week this week we do have a cat of the week um and and this is a cat that has been really aspiring to greatness um jillian's cat barney Mm -hmm. he is five and jillian informs us Barney would like to be considered for Cat of the Week. He is feeling unchallenged in his current role as Mama's Precious Angel and (laughs) believes he is ready for the additional responsibility the promotion would bring. (laughs) And part two, I think that Barney can take some lessons from Lillian's cat. She has two cats. And this kind of reminds me of back in college when you went to a really good party and you thought, how the hell are we going to get home? So Goldie drives the golf cart, Goldie the cat, and Benjamin works the pedals. So I'm not saying I've ever been in that position, but I have some friends who may have been in that position. That's right. Two cats driving a golf cart? One takes the wheel, one takes the pedals. Didn't you ever have to do that in college, Kevin? Kevin was a good boy. He could be on the late show doing it. With cats? They could jump over a pool of goldfish or something. That'd be There's a picture of them, Goldie and Benjamin, driving the golf cart. I don't want to forget about Barney. Barney now has additional responsibilities. What are the responsibilities of being the cat of the week? Is there like Um, a morality clause? Well, it's hard to say. You know, we had to move away from things dying. And, uh, you know, I was talking about this at my house last week. And my son's like, oh, you should mention this dog who died last week, Ugh, Gabe. He no. was a sensational internet meme and he died. So maudlin. And he, he could bark the Jurassic Park theme. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> I'm like, we're moving on from dead things. I don't know. All right, you, you know why Stampy can't be cat of the week? Why? Because of the morality clause in his committee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tom Cat. VD. VD. If, if you got a cat that can drive a golf cart, that's the cat of the fucking year. <laughs> yeah. All so. right. So, Laura Bricker, if people want to continue to submit their uplifting cat of the week submissions to you, how can they reach you on social media? At Frederick Douglass. <laughs> on Twitter, right? Thanks, Toby. Yeah. Um, yeah. At Laura Bricker. <laughs> And Toby Ball, if our listeners want to tweet to you, perhaps send you some more sources for Zagnut Bars, how can they reach you online? Uh, I have a lot of sources for Zagnut Bars now. All right. So if they if they want if they want to know a source for Zagnut Bars, they can reach me at, at Toby Ball on H. And Kevin Flynn, if our listeners want to tweet to you, how can they do it? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to send me a tweet or follow me on Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Our show is also on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And you can always send us an email at crimewriterson at gmail.com. Don't forget to head to our website where you can sign up for our newsletter and buy stuff using our Amazon link. Before you close your podcast app, leave a review on iTunes. Rate the podcast. It makes a big difference. It helps listeners find us. And please, please check out These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast. This week it features Taylor Quimby, who's the actual author of the theme song for These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast. It's pretty great. Our very handsome line producer is Henry Lavoy. Our theme music was performed by the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. And this show is recorded in Square Egg Studio, newly signed, by the way. 
Gray at Partners in Crime Media, a.k.a. The Closet in Our Basement, formerly known as Studio C. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers Smile On. Smile when you say that. I was smiling, mother... <laughs> hey, you. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast... <laughs> And stop laughing, Rebecca. There's too much laughing here. There's too much laughter in the world. My laughter is so annoying. Partners in Crime Media. Critics are calling Charles Cumming the heir to John LeCare. Uncover the truth in a divided spy from New York Times bestselling author Charles Cumming. Booklist gives a divided spy a starred review, calling it, quote, an airtight espionage plot full of unanticipated twists. Read A Divided Spy by Charles Cumming. For more information, visit adividedspy.com. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.